This is a podcast from Real Life Sango in Clarksville, Tennessee. Thank you for being a part of our online community. We would love for you to join us at 8.30 or 10 a.m. on Sunday morning at the City Forum. In the meantime, if you would like to share a prayer request, make a financial contribution, or take a step at Real Life, you can text MISSION to 97000. Now enjoy the podcast. Grab a seat. Good morning, good morning. Welcome, Real Life. As Freddie T. mentioned, we have our groundbreaking coming up on uh, June 18th, which super, super excited. It's going to be on the land. We're going to have a party. We're going to be entering a new season as a church. And, you know, one of my favorite lines, if you've been around at all, you've heard the, the line, the building ain't the building. It's just the house of bricks where the builder's going to build his building. But we are building a building. And my question is, like, Why? Like, why are we building a building? Why are we building it in the way that we're building it? Why are we going to have this amazing, like, kind of cafe where people can come and have relationships and hopefully build a community? And so what I want to talk about this morning is we don't want to just have a community. I want to talk about, like, what does it mean to have the right kind of community, a biblical, Christ-shaped community? Because our country right now and our community we are starved for like real relationships. Um, the more techie we get, some of you know this, I'm, a, I'm a, a little bit of an early adopter when it comes to tech stuff. Like I will buy anything shiny with like fruit on the back of it that Apple puts out. It's ridiculous. I'm just that person. I've got the watch. And I, I don't know if you heard this, but the rumor is that Apple is going to be coming out with this uh, mixed reality headset. Uh, this is not a real picture of it. We don't know what it's going to look like. It's supposed to be kind of a mix between uh, virtual reality and augmented reality. And if you don't know what that means, basically the idea is eventually Apple hopes that you'll walk around with some sort of glasses on and you will see different things in real life that are like graphics overlaid. And so there's this one guy named Louis Rosenberg. He's a computer scientist who helped develop the first AR system. And he wrote an article last year where, where he warned the metaverse could turn into a, quote, cyberpunk dystopia. And uh, his concern was that people might actually introduce paid filter layers that would allow certain users to see specific tags over real-life people. And so basically you would be walking out and say you're in downtown Clarksville and you see a bunch of people. If you had this paid filter, you would see you could see tags over, like, over their, literally hovering above their head. And so all of a sudden, if you had the right, like, app, you might see over one person's head, alcoholic or immigrant or atheist or racist or something even crazier like libertarian, you know, something crazy like that, right? Like, sorry to both of you libertarians. Uh, like, and his kind of his whole thing there was like, this is not going to help our country when it comes to, to polarization. Like, we're already so polarized, groups are going to be ostracized. But his bigger concern was actually not that. His bigger concern was that he envisioned a world where digital becomes more real than reality, right? And I want to say, I think we're already starting to see that a little bit. If you have um, uh, kids or students, sometimes maybe you've seen that it's really hard forget students, it's hard to get us off of our phones, right? Sometimes it's hard to get our students out of their rooms and off their computers. 
there's something about the digital world that is attractive to us, and yet it doesn't satisfy that longing in us for real relationships. There's a movie that came out, I don't know, 10 years ago about a guy that was in a relationship with a girl, but then began to have a stronger connection to his artificial intelligence, right? A picture falling in love with Siri, right? Makes no sense. But did you know that right now that's happening? Like right now, there are hundreds of people in our country that are falling in love with literally artificial intelligence chatbots. So much so that there was an article recently that said one company did a software update that pretty much caused the, the software to break up with the people that they were with. And it created all these people that were distraught because their artificial intelligence girlfriends, boyfriends kind of broke up with them. How weird is that? That is the culture that we live in. And here's what I want to say. The more connected that we get in the digital world, what we're finding and studies are showing this is the more disconnected we actually feel in real life. The more lonely we feel in real life. And before we get on our high horse and say, man, I'm glad I'm not like that. I want to ask ourselves as a church, like, what sort of relationships are we forming that are real, right, that are vulnerable, where we open our lives to each other and we take the risk to love each other as Christ has called us to love each other? Because I feel like in our country today that American Christianity, we are, we are all about the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Now hear me. It's not that our relationship is less than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but I want you to know it is a lot more than that. It starts personal, but we are called to one another. And the fact is that some of you this morning are going through difficult times or you are beginning to go through a difficult time. Maybe for you, it's health-related. For some of you, it might be a marriage that is on the rocks and hanging on for dear life. It could be job insecurity. Maybe you're dealing with depression or anxiety or simply hopelessness. And I want to tell you, it's one thing to go through pain, but here's what we know. It is a totally different thing to go through pain by yourself. That is what can lead to a kind of trauma. But if you are a follower of Jesus, there's really, really good news, and that's that you weren't called to bear those things by yourself. We're called to do this together, to be better together, and to be a different kind of community. I'm going to read a passage this morning out of uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, where Paul is writing to one of his church plants that they themselves are going through a really, really difficult time, and Paul is separated from them. And I want to show you the sort of community that will allow you to go through your difficult circumstances through the hardest times in your life, and not just make it through, but thrive. And so if you would look at me at 1 Thessalonians, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 17, and we're going to go through chapter 3, verse 10. Let's take a look at our text. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we, went, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, 
just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I, come, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brother, brothers, in all, all our distress and affliction, we have now been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. We're just going to look at three points from this today. And um, very simple, but I think very, very important for us as we look at what does it mean to be the kind of community that can make it through hard times together. The first one is this. Community starts with showing up. Community starts with showing up. Um, in the time of Paul's writing, similar today, uh, it, men typically were not known for showing emotions. Now, um, any 80s kids in here? Like, um, that was like, like, as a guy, like, in that growing up in the 80s, that was the thing. Like, guys, we just didn't show our emotions, right? And it's funny, I sometimes think Paul falsely gets, like, like, kind of put in that camp of like, you know, like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to show my emotions. He was a really, really emotional guy. Uh, look again at verse 17. But as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time, the, the Greek word here for forced is the same idea of a forced separation between a parent and a child. Like, that's like emotional. Paul's like, that's, that's, I feel like I'm ripped away from you right now. And if it sounds heavy, he, he meant it to be heavy. Paul is separated from his friends. Uh, there are obviously no cell phones. There's no Zoom, no social media, no email, no quick way to get in touch. He is separated from the church that he poured his life into, and it hurts. Looking in at verse 17, but as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a sh short time, in person, not in heart, we greatly desired and made every effort to return and see you face to face. Okay, so the term here for greatly desired is a Greek word called epithemia. It means not just desire, it means over desire. Paul's like, I, like another translation is lust. Like Paul is like, I, I over desire to see you. I'm away from you and I just, I want to be in touch with you again. Every other time in the New Testament that word is used, it is used in a negative way. In other words, it's like when you take something good and you make it an idol in your life, that means you over-desired it. But Paul here is saying, as I'm separated from you, there's nothing more than I want to, I want to be there so, so badly. Guys, there is something about presence that is incredibly, incredibly important as we seek this sort of community that we're talking about this morning. Now, I grew up, like a lot of you, in the Bible Belt, and um, some of you will know what I'm talking about. Like, in, in when growing up, we had so many programs in our church. You, you could almost, nobody actually said this out loud, but you could almost make sort of a, a chart. Like, if you only went on Sunday morning, right, on Sunday morning service, you might be a Christian or you might be running for office <laughs> or a real estate agent or, you know, like that was just kind of the, the way it was, right? That was Sunday morning. But then... If you wanted to go like the next level, right, you'd go on Sunday night, like where 
the worship leader would try out that song that you hoped he didn't try out, right? Like, I'm going to try it on you guys on Sunday night. That's, that was Sunday night. So if you, like, wanted to go, like, a little bit extra, Sunday night was where that was at. Now, if you're going to become a deacon or trying to be a leader in the church, Wednesday night is where it was at, right? Like, you go and you do the Bible study. And then if you were just a little bit, like, crazy, you might show up to Tuesday night visitation and stalk people in their homes, right? So Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, and it was kind of in our mind, like, how crazy, like, how far do you want to go? Now, I think we've rightfully, like, there's been things about that that we've critiqued and there's nuances, but something I have to tell you happened in the midst of all that stuff, and that was relationship. Like, you're around people all the time. Some of you, I'm seeing some of you right now, like we were in church like almost every day of the week, right? And relationships were fostered. What's happened today is the pendulum has swung so far on the other side, and I promise I'm not being a grumpy old man right now, but the, the pendulum swung to the other side, and now it's not even that we just have like nailed it down to Sunday mornings. Um, statistically speaking, we don't go every Sunday. In fact, uh, for a while it changed to an average of twice a month. That was pre-pandemic. Since the pandemic has, um, we're, we're coming out of the pandemic, the newest studies are showing that on average people are going to church as little as once a month or once every six weeks. Now, I'm not saying this to guilt us. I'm really not. Instead, it is an invitation to something different. It's an invitation to say that if we value relationships, then we got to show up in each other's lives. We have to, one of, the, one of our values is margin for mission, right? Because we're so overscheduled and overcrowded that the thing that gets put on the back burner is our relationships with each other. What would it look like for us as a church to say, we're going to step up, we're going to be faithful, we're going to serve together because there's nothing like serving together to build relationships. Presence matters and the more digital we get in our culture, the more it matters that we understand that we need to f physically show up in each other's life. So that's the first one. Number two is this. You'll never know the power of love until you experience the pain of love. You'll never know the power of love until you experience the pain of love. Let me put it a different way. You'll never know the power of love until you allow yourself to be vulnerable to the pain of love. In other words, the key word here is vulnerability. Look at verse 7 and 8. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith, for we now live if you stand firm in the Lord. When I first read that, I thought I was misreading that. Like, Paul, you're saying, if, for now we live if you, stand, uh, if you stand firm in the Lord. Uh, to put it in reverse, what Paul is basically saying is, if you don't stay faithful, I think I might die. Like, he was so tied in to his new friends that he had poured his life in that he's basically saying, like, if you, if you, don't, if you don't do this, like, it affects me. Look again at verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. The idea here, folks, is that we should be investing in each other so much so that when a person that we're investing in, when a person that we're in relationship with, when they're having a bad day, their bad day affects me. Like when they're happy, like I'm happy. When they're struggling, I, I'm struggling. This is so foreign to us. 
like in our, in our culture, even if somebody in our church, if they have some sort of major falling, like a moral fallout, we might go, oh man, like look at them, like that, for them, that's bad. I can't believe they did that. A New Testament church, if somebody saw that, if somebody was sinning, if somebody struggled, they would go, yeah, th- th- their sin is my sin. That's so contrary to like American expressive individualism that says you do you and I do me and there's no, no in between. Like our community is supposed to be so intertwined that like your joy is my joy, your sadness is my sadness, and yes, your sin is my sin and we're gonna shepherd each other towards something better. Now to do this, I'm just gonna be honest, like you might get hurt. It is hard to pour your life out into somebody and to not ever get hurt in a relationship. I was, um, I was one of those youth ministers that like um, I, I've, told, I've told Clay before, like you'll be fine, just don't do what I did when I was youth minister. Like I would totally, I would totally fire me, like I would've. Like, I, I was the worst. I, I would do, we would do games that um, were incredibly dangerous. Like, every lawyer that was a part of our church would just be like, dude, stop. Um, we, we, we did this one thing. Have you guys ever done, like, the, uh, the inner tube game where you, um, you tie three inner tubes together? I think we have a picture of this. Yeah, like, sumo wrestling. Um, this was fun. I did this at my church in Atlanta. And um, I wanted to do an example so that the rest of the youth group could see how this game is played. So I thought it would be a brilliant idea to take my 90-pound assistant um, to the youth minister. She's not, she was 90 pounds. She could barely pick up the three inner tubes, y'all. Like, I mean, she, it was like everything for her to pick it up. And um, for some reason, I decided to put her against um, like our largest girl in the youth group, like a senior. Like, and I thought this was going to make sense. So my assistant picks up the inner tubes and I'm about to blow the whistle to start and like they're going to come and they're just going to like collide, right? And so as she picks it up, she begins to lose her balance and she's like starting to fall backwards and her helmet had like fallen over her eyes and I'm like, somehow in my brain, I'm like, oh, this is perfect. And I blow the whistle and I'm like, what did I just do? And she's like coming, you know, at this poor girl and the next thing I know, I'm not exaggerating. Like I had to like pull, like the inner tubes were all like, uh, everywhere. I had to like pull her out. I, th- I think her back was a little bit messed up. Uh, again, not great. <laughs> that, that, was, um, that was not my best moment in youth ministry. That's, that's what it feels like sometimes when you pour yourself out into a relationship. It can feel like you just got run over, right? Uh, anybody in this room that has ever done that, where you pour, and I'm not, it, it could be romantic relationships, it could be um, a familial relationship, it could be somebody at church, but when you pour yourself out, you know that you're making yourself vulnerable to simply getting run over. And um, what I want to say is, I get that, but then our impulse is to begin to, to do the rest of our life like this. Look at the next, um, yeah. So we get one of these suits, right? And we say, well, I am, I am not gonna get hurt again. I, like, I've felt that before, and I'm not gonna get hurt again. And so we keep everybody at a distance in order to protect our hearts. And let me just kind of give you four ways. There's more, but four ways that, um, that we protect ourselves from getting hurt. Number one is this, social media. Some of us have traded in our real relationships our flesh and blood relationships for an online community 
where we get to control the story. In other words, when you do social media, the reason you can't get hurt as much in social media is because you control the narrative. You control how other people see you and view you. And we think that that somehow is relationships. We get enough likes, um, we get enough messages, and we feel like, okay, this is real community. But it's a very controlled environment. Second way is through echo chambers. This one I think is really big in our country right now. When I say an echo chamber, I mean that we will find people that look and think and act just like we do. And when we realize somebody does not think and act and like see the world the way that we do, rather than engage in them, we pick up and we go and we find another group. And we see this over and over and over again. We've created these echo chambers. And it's to our own detriment. One of the things I told our community group um, in the very beginning when we first started, I said like, I really, I really would prefer that we don't agree on a lot. <laughs> I, I hope that we agree on the main things but if we all just agree, and it's like, yes, 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 then we're not ever challenged, and we don't shape each other, and we don't, like, soften each other's edges. And so there's this thing in us right now where as soon as we see something that's different, we go and we find somebody that's just the same because it's safe and it's comfortable. And I don't think that's what we're called to do. The third one is this, and this one's an obvious, is just substances. We, we have been hurt in relationships, and so for us, we just numb the pain, whether it's through alcohol or, um, or prescription meds, whatever it is, and it just covers up our own hurts so that we actually don't have to deal with them, and it keeps us from actually developing the kind of relationships that we've had. And some of you know what I mean right now, because when a person is doing this to numb their senses, it is very hard to connect with them and to get on a real level. And then the fourth one, is ghosting, right? If you've ever been in a relationship, and I'm not just talking about a romantic relationship, again, this can be any, any sort of relationship, where you feel like, hey, this is good. Like, I'm, we're starting to connect. I'm starting to see the real them, and they are starting to see the real me. And then right when it's about to get good, all of a sudden it's like, boom. All of a sudden the responses become slow, or they become non-existent, and slowly they, come, they become out of your life. And I think there's a reason for this. I think it's because there is safety in what I project to you and what you project to me in the beginning. We have this sort of infatuation and yes, I like them and they like me, but we know that the closer that they get to us, they're gonna see the real us, right? I used to say like, hey, if you, if you like me, just get to know me a little bit better, right? <laughs> like, you know, like there, there is something that we do that just, we project, we project, oh man, they're getting close enough to see like all the bad stuff now. And then, so what do we do? We just, it's not worth it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna back away now and we hold people at arm's length or we simply just ghost them and we go on to the next one. What I wanna tell you is the type of love that Paul is talking about here, this love where he is pouring into this church and he says, man, your joy is my joy and your sorrows are my sorrow. It is risky. Um, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes and uh, some of you have probably heard me quote this before, he, he puts it beautifully. He says this, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of, or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. 
It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. How many of us would say, man, that's, that's me. I've been hurt. I was run over, but never again. And so we do this. We lock our heart up and we say, never again. I'm going to keep my relationships like this. And in doing so, we've chosen to do our life alone and to carry our burdens by ourselves. And that's not what we've been called to do as a church. So number one is this. Community starts with showing up. Two, you will never know the power of love until you experience the pain of love. And three, real community balances grace and truth. Really important point here because someone could listen to this and say, okay, Tim said that love, real love hurts and I've been hurt and I'm hurting right now. Therefore, I'm loving biblically and in the right way. And I wanna say, let's be careful here because sometimes love hurts for the wrong reasons. Let me say that again. Sometimes love hurts for the wrong reasons. Sometimes love hurts because actually we've made an idol of the person that we're in a relationship with it. Uh, that, Paul, that word that Paul used earlier, remember the word epithemia, like I just so longed and over-desired to see you face-to-face. Other places that word is used, it's used when you take something that is a good thing and you make it an ultimate thing. What, so Paul loved them like crazy. He loved them like crazy, but he did not make them an idol in his life. Relationships can often be strained when one or both people in a relationship over-desire the other person. So in other words, if you're dating someone and they break up with you, it's perfectly normal for you to feel that and to be hurt. But if it crushes you, then it's possible that you made them an idol in your life. And if you're in a relationship right now, okay, parents, we talked about this, if your children have become an idol in your life, like it's one thing to love them, but it's another thing to like live your life through them, then you're gonna put expectations and a weight on them that they were not meant to bear. Husbands and wives, same thing. Like your spouse is great, love them, but don't make them something they were never meant to be. Our relationships within the church, let's love each other. Let's long to be in each other's presence but let's not put a weight on that relationship that they were never meant to bear. I can tell here that Paul, as much as he loved this group, did not make them an idol. Well, how do you know that? You say, well, look at verse 10. I love this. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. You know what he's actually saying right there? Paul basically is writing them saying like, hey, I cannot wait to come see you face to face to address all the things that you're lacking. Like you people have some shortcomings and I'm gonna tell you exactly how, what I feel about it, right? Like, don't you want a letter like that? I cannot wait to see you because you've messed up, right? Like, like that's literally what Paul's saying. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna, like you've got some things that you need to grow in and I'm gonna tell you exactly how it is. By the way, you can't write a letter like that unless the people that you're writing to know your love for them. Like you know that they love you and, and they know that you love them. There's this like relationship where grace and truth can be communicated. And he says, I can't wait to talk to you because we've got things to talk about. If your relationship is an idol, here's, here's what this means. It means that you want their approval more than you want their good, right? 
In other words, you're willing to do whatever it takes to get what you want out of them versus what is in their best interest. Here are a couple ways that you can know whether or not you've made an idol of someone. The first thing is this. Um, you can't speak hard truth into their life. Um, if there is somebody in your life that you love, but you see a shortcoming in their life, and you can't come to them and say, hey, here's what I see. I'm seeing a character issue here. Because you can't do that. Why can you not do that? Because now you don't have their approval. Like, what if they don't take it well? What if they get mad at me? What if they think I'm just judging them? Right? We can't do that if we've made an idol out of their life because now we're not after their good. We're after our, like, feeling good about the relationship because we're afraid of a person's disapproval. And the second thing is, not only can you not speak hard truth into their life, you can't receive hard truth either. In other words, if someone that you love comes and they come, come to you and they say, this is some of the things that I see wrong in your life, and you immediately get crushed because you're all about like, how they view you, that's a sign that what you actually have is not a friendship, it's something worse. You've created an idol in your life. How do you get that kind of love? Well, look at what Paul does. Paul has a completely different goal in mind. Look again at verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Wait a minute, Paul. I thought you only gloried in Christ. How can you say that this church is your glory? Well, the word glory, the, the, kind of one of the first meanings of glory was this idea of a, a good reputation, right? Um, a good report, a good opinion. And so Paul's saying, there's gonna come a time when Jesus comes back and we're all together and I'm gonna be able to say that you are my crown and joy. In other words, I poured my life into you and you look more like Jesus than you've ever looked like in your life. Church, listen, the building ain't the building, but the builder is going to build his building which is us, the church. And when we have this right kind of community, we're gonna show up in each other's lives, presence, real presence. We're gonna pour ourselves into each other, make ourselves vulnerable, and it won't be perfect. You'll get hurt, but you won't be crushed because we haven't made an idol in each other, right? But we have the same end goal. What is that end goal? Well, for Paul, the end goal is when Jesus comes back, we're going to be able to present each other sanctified, blameless, looking more and more like Jesus. If that is our end goal, then we get to, to learn what it looks like, looks like to be spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ, shepherding each other to look more like Jesus. And that means sometimes hard conversations where we balance grace and truth in those relationships. How do you do that? The only way that you can do that the only way that you can do that is to look to Jesus. Because in Jesus, we talk about vulner vulnerability. Jesus is the only one that's loved himself so much that he wasn't just vulnerable. He didn't, just, he didn't lock his heart in a casket like C.S. Lewis talks about. He became vulnerable to the point of death on a cross because he loved you and I so much. If that is the foundation of our relationships, then what you tell me your approval or disapproval of me might encourage me or hurt me, but it won't crush me 
because my foundation is in the unconditional love of Jesus Christ who made himself vulnerable for me. Does that make sense? When that's our foundation, we can lean in and be vulnerable and be risky in our love and pour into each other for that common goal of we're gonna, we're gonna, we wanna look more and more like Jesus every day. I can't wait for this next season of our church because we get to display a different sort of community to a world that desperately needs to see something that is not fake, that isn't just digital, that's real and points people to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for us this morning. Let's pray. God, you are so, so good. And what we talked about this morning is hard. It's hard to put ourselves out there. It's hard to, be, to get hurt again. And so, Father, we confess that we do so much to try to control the amount of pain that we have in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that today, as a church, we would make conscious decisions to take steps to put ourselves out there into this sort of community that loves each other unconditionally like you have loved us. Help us to learn how to speak grace and truth into each other's lives. Help us to, to every day be a little closer to our lives looking like you. Father, my prayer is that one day you're gonna come back and we can look around at each other as a church here at Real Life and be so excited because we know that we have been on a journey together shaping each other to look more and more like you. You're a good God. We're so thankful for your salvation. Father, help us to live our life in response to that, in worship to you, in spirit and in truth. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Please stand as we continue to worship together. Thank you for listening. We trust that God is stirring something special in your heart today. We hope to see you on Sunday very soon. Keep it real, keep it Jesus.